Hey, Jason Wood here, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready podcast. Today, we have a really exciting episode for you. Come on and take a look. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy. We have a really cool episode today. We're on base, the U.S. Coast Guard base, San Diego, and we've got a panel interview today. We're going to have a bunch of cool stories and a lot to talk about. So I want to start by getting the panel introduced. We're going to start from my right, work all the way to the left. So starting on the right, and, and great thanks to you, Greg, for getting us on base. But uh, Master Chief, tell us a little bit about you. Introduce yourself. Oh, thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate the uh, opportunity, and I'm glad to host you here at Coast Guard Sector San Diego in uh, the finest Coast Guard city in the United States, by the way. Uh, Master Chief Greg Vi, I'm the Command Master Chief here at Sector San Diego. I've uh, been in the Coast Guard about 24 years, uh, small, small boat operations. I'm a boatswain made by trade. So uh, sea time, surface time, uh, conducting rescues at sea, uh, onshore, offshore during hurricanes and natural disasters. But uh, I've been all over, and I'm just super happy to be here and to talk about the, the, the events we have going on. That's great. That's great. And then sitting to my left is Holly Schaffner, and you're part of the GI Film Festival and also a Coast Guard veteran. I am, yes. Thank you for having me today. And uh, my name is Holly Schaffner. I'm a retired lieutenant commander from the Coast Guard. I did uh, 24 years. Ten of those years were enlisted, and my last 14 were as an officer. And got to have some really cool jobs. I did a little bit of search and rescue in, in my career as well, and busting drug runners and migrants and hurricane uh, response, things like that. Uh, my final job was uh, search and rescue for the Coast Guard up in, our, our, um, up in District 11 in the Alameda area. But now since I've left the Coast Guard, I work out at San Diego State. I'm the military liaison officer, and I help our active duty veterans and military families navigate their uh, process into SDSU. But I've been sitting on this wonderful GI Film Festival Advisory Committee for the last five years, and, uh, and I just love sitting on it and, and picking out some really great films for our festival. Awesome. And last but not least, someone who you work with on the panel is uh, Jody Silly. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to, Jody. Um, thanks for having me. This is yeah. wonderful. And thanks for having me at this beautiful location. I'm Jody Silly. I'm the founder and president of Film Consortium San Diego. Uh, we're an organization here that produces San Diego Film Week and San Diego Film Awards. And we really try and celebrate local filmmakers, local filmmaking. I'm also an advisory board member for the GI Film Festival San Diego. And one of my uh, main priorities there is bringing our local filmmakers and local military filmmakers into the fold and getting their films involved in our festival. And that's incredibly important to me. Um, of course, we're here in San Diego, which is a huge military town, and there's so many great stories um, that we need to preserve. But, you know, in addition to that, getting our local, our veterans involved in the film industry has been an incredible, yeah, well, incredible um, I think uh, opportunity we have, we have a lot of success. cool military stories and experiences to share here today, and so I want to try and capture some of that stuff. Um, one of the things I always like to learn about our guests who um, are either active in the military or prior service um, is is why what, what was your reason for even joining the military and more than that like the coast guard right the coast guard is the smallest force that we have out of our, our armed services um and maybe sometimes overlooked not intentionally but you know it's smaller so it may not be the forefront of everybody's mind if they were looking to join the military so so i don't know greg and 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 um holly tell us a little bit about like your why like why did you join what what was the inspiration or the motivation to get into the coast guard well, mine, I come from a kind of a long military family in history, but mostly in the Army. Uh, surprisingly enough, my grandfather, World War II in the Navy, actually, but um, uh, everyone else was Army, all the way back to like 
the Roman times. Uh, so, uh, of course, that's what I was going to do in, from the Midwest. And I, uh, so I joined uh, Army National Guard to start with, and I was uh, actually getting ready to go full-time. I've been doing it for a couple of years, and I saw the movie Clear and Present Danger. Yep, uh, great movie. I had no idea movie. what the Coast Guard was, and I see a 110-foot patrol boat climbing on board with these drug runners who had, like, you know, done some horrible things, and, like, they were arresting them and doing stuff, and I was like... That, that's happening right now. Like, I can do that. I like the water. I can swim. And so uh, I found a recruiter, chased him down, and uh, joined. Came into my unit and said, hey, I'm, I'm joining the Coast Guard. My uncle happened to be a colonel at the time. Oh, there uh, you go. My brother was a sergeant. And uh, so I grew up with all these guys, and they were less than thrilled that I was uh, <laughs> uh, joining the Coast Guard. One, they never heard of it. And uh, two, I, uh, uh, I joined the Coast Guard, and I shipped out literally a couple months later. And uh, I haven't looked back since, 24 years later. That's incredible. 24 years is a long time. Um, Holly, tell us a little bit. Why you, why'd you join? Well, that's the first time that I heard the Master Chief's story, but <laughs> mine is uh, very similar to the Master Chief's. And um, my family is have a long line of military uh, veterans as well. My grandfather served in World War II, and uh, he was in the Army, and my uh, aunt was a Navy nurse. So um, I came from, from military, but my story is that I saw Top Gun in my senior year in high school, and it just so happened that that Monday after Top Gun aired, um, there was a Navy recruiter there, and I went over to her, and I told her, I said, I want to fly fighter pilot, or I want to fly fighter planes for the Navy, and she says, well, how's your grades? And I said, oh, I'm a straight C student, and she says, yeah, we have this other program for you, and I was like, oh, what's this other program? And she's like, it's called being enlisted, and I'm like, oh, okay, so tell me about it. So I tested and physicaled for the Navy on the day that it came to sign on the dotted line. Uh, she says, well, here, I scored very well on the ASVAB, which is a, an entrance exam to figure out what jobs you're eligible for. I scored very well on the uh, ASVAB, and she says, here's all the jobs that you're eligible for. And uh, there wasn't anything on there that I wanted to do. So thank goodness, even at 18 years old, I got up and I went to go see the Air Force recruiter, and he didn't have anything that I wanted to do either. So I went back to my part-time job and uh, was chatting with the lady that sat next to me. And she says, my husband's in the Coast Guard. I said, the Coast Guard? I said, what's that? And, <laughs> and she said, it's just like the military, only better. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I called the Coast Guard recruiter and I asked him, I said, what jobs do you have that are available to women? And because uh, the Navy didn't have anything that I wanted to do that was open in the job rates that I wanted to get into. And uh, he says, ma'am, any job that a man can do in the Coast Guard, a woman can do. He says, we have no jobs that are closed to women. And this was back in that day. And I said, I'll be in to see you. And two weeks later, I was off to boot camp. That's a cool story. That's a great story. That's really cool. That and movies inspired uh, these people to join yeah. the Yeah, well, it's, it's apropos for, for the <laughs> film festival, too, that. right? Because, like, for yeah. me, that was my motivation for joining the military, too, really? was, was Top Gun. And so, yeah, growing up, all I wanted to do was fly fighter jets and, you know, even doing, like, class book reports and stuff it, you know I'd, I'd talk about the f-14 tomcat you know and like that was my book report right because i read a book on it um so yeah that's really really that interesting is and is kind of a, a cool natural segue into the film festival and stuff which you guys have a lot of really neat stuff coming up with that and um i want you guys to maybe highlight what the gi film festival really is i know it's a lot about you know, military footage and, and and filmmakers and things of that nature but tell us a little bit more about that well, the GI Film Festival San Diego originated um, in Washington, D.C., and it was essentially, at the point that it was in Washington, D.C., it was the only military film festival dedicated specifically to military stories in the entire country. Um, here in San Diego, 
KPBS was really inspired by that and brought a lot of those films here to screen in San Diego. Of course, we have, as I mentioned already, a big military history, a big military community, and it's really important to be able to preserve and show the stories of the people in the military here in our city and around the world and around the U.S. So it's really there to celebrate, honor, uh, recognize uh, military stories, military history of all different backgrounds from people of all different backgrounds, all different um, ethnicities, all different, uh, you know, conflicts, for example, or, you know, branches of the military, and to make sure those stories are preserved and that they're celebrated and that they're honored, you know, right here in our city. That's really cool. I bet, I bet you guys have some cool stories that would make great movies um, from your time in the Coast Guard. Um, any, any cool stories you can share with us? Or funny stories? Oh, there's, there's plenty of funny stories. I miss, you know, something called sea stories. Um, uh, Holly, do you have one you want to start yeah, with? Yeah, I mean, I got a whole vault of uh, 24 years of sea stories. Some of them are appropriate for this, uh, for what we're doing today, and some of them are not so appropriate. So I think I'll, tr I'll, put, I'll put out some of the uh, more appropriate ones, but... I would say that uh, probably one of my, um, I wouldn't say it's a favorite story, I would say it's a memorable story, is uh, Hurricane Katrina. So I was at a, I was second in command of an anti-terrorism unit down in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina came through. And what I'll tell you is that my unit, uh, we had 78 men and women, and we all evacuated to Meridian, Mississippi. But as soon as the eye of the hurricane came through New Orleans, uh, my men and women were on uh, vans heading back into New Orleans, pulling our boats, and um, we evacuated everything out of our unit. We took weapons, boats, computers, um, ammunition. We took everything that we needed to because we didn't think we were coming back to our unit. And so we evacuated Meridian, Mississippi, and then uh, as soon as the eye of the hurricane went through, we went back in and... Um, about uh, 65 of my men and women were in New Orleans, literally. I mean, the stories they tell of what the Coast Guard did in New Orleans are, is just simply amazing. And um, they were in a convoy on the streets of New Orleans, and they saw that there were looters that were coming down the street that were armed, and there was um, policemen that had our... Um, some other looters face down and they were getting ready to handcuff them, but here come these other looters. And so they stopped the caravan. Coast Guard got out, drew, drew their weapons, talked these uh, other looters down on the ground, handcuffed them and handed them over to the police. I mean, wow. <laughs> never in Coast Guard history do you have, you know, a detainees right there on the, on the streets. I mean, that's not really our job to be on the streets where our job is to be on the water. So, I mean, they just tell uh, incredible stories of taking axes and cutting people out of roofs and out of the attics, and it was, uh, it was definitely a challenging time. There was one story where um, one of my bosun mates uh, was, um, they were in this big parking lot in, in New Orleans, and they were getting ready to rescue some people, and um, they, were having, they were being fired upon. They were having gunshots at them, and so he called me. He's like, XO, what are we supposed to be doing? And... So it was, it was tough. I, you know, you tell them to take cover and that they got to protect themselves first. Yeah, that's intense. It was, it was a crazy 14 days of, uh, you know, I, I was in Meridian, Mississippi myself because um, since I was the XO, I didn't go into the city to do the rescues. But my job was to supply everything that they needed. So every night at 10 o'clock at night, my ops boss would call me and say, XO, we need 
baby wipes, talcum powder, white tube socks, water, bottled water. And then I would send the senior chief into the city the next day. He would wipe the shelves clean of whatever the ops boss said he needed. And then they would ferry it down into New Orleans and, and get that for the crews. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I know like, um, I mean, the Coast Guard does so much interesting stuff. It probably isn't really highlighted too much, but I think we, we know like from movies and TVs, right? There's obviously like the drug running type stuff that, um, you know, is probably the most prominent that we see in the news, but you know, like search and rescue type stuff. You guys even patrol like some of the, the larger lakes, on Conant and stuff too. So, and that's probably a little bit of an unknown. Um, anything you can share with us, Master Chief, on that kind of thing? Yeah. So, um, in particular in this area, you know, we cover in our Eastern LAOR, um, any lake that crosses two states is federal water that we have jurisdiction on it. Gotcha. So that's why we go out Lake, Lake Powell, Lake Mead, Lake Havasu. We go out during the busy month, Lake Tahoe, um, hmm. uh, is another one that we have. It's very well known Lake. Uh, we go out there to help out, um, the local agencies, the National Park Police, uh, do a search and rescue, uh, boating while intoxicated enforcement, uh, things like that, just to keep uh, the waterway safe. Because a lot of people forget those areas, and they go out, and people get on the water, and like, I can do what I want. I'm not a car. I can drink all I want. I can jump off this and do cliffs. It's just to jump off and do tricks. It's just water. It's not going to hurt, but it's the rocks underneath. So our crews all the time are getting people who are falling off cliffs, who are jumping off cliffs like they think they can just jump in the water, but there's it's very shallow, uh, get in boat, major boating accidents. So a lot of things happen uh, that we really try to watch out for just to protect the safety of life at sea or on the water in general. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I had a, uh, a friend who I worked with a while ago um, who's a Coast Guard veteran and a, um, a rescue swimmer. Yes. And um, that's, a, that's a really interesting job too. He was telling me some interesting encounters with, with sharks and stuff. Um, what, what do you got for us there? Yeah, so I got a funny story. I'm a surface guy. Okay. Uh, and so I've seen plenty of sharks. So my first, uh, my first part with sharks is a quick two-part story. Uh, I was a non-rate, just got in the Coast Guard, and I'm off the East Coast. And uh, we're bringing this, this fishing vessel that has some injuries on there and is broken down in the winter off the East Coast. So it's really rough. And my uh, XPO is watching us, and we're working the deck, and waves are crashing on us. And he's like, hey, it'd be a really uh, – make sure you guys don't fall in today. Like, what's going on? It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. And when the ship would roll, the lights would shine in the water, and all you saw was fins. No way. Yeah, you'd see fins swimming around there. And I was like, and I just looked up. I'm like, are we supposed to even be out here? And he just said, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. You're doing great. <laughs> if you don't, I got somebody waiting to, to take over for you if, you if you go over. And I was like, this, what? I don't understand. I just got here. So I get here, and I start flying around in helicopters because I, I drive boats, you know. Right. Um. And I'm up there with the swimmers, and they go by somewhere they, where they surf at. And so they look down, and they're like, oh, look, there's a couple big sharks. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, did you guys get scared when you jump in the water, you know? And they're like, well, not much. I was surfing there this morning. I'm like, you were surfing there this morning. He's like, yeah, I'll probably go when we get off work duty today. I'm like, there's a shark there. He's like, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, just like it was no big deal. I'm like, that's, wow, good for you guys. Yeah. That's like their whole mentality is just like. It just is what it is. That's a different breed, man. That's, that's some fearless mentality right there. Um, well, tell us a little bit about um, the film festival. You guys have an event coming up, like a, a screening or something like that, that's coming up really soon, right? Yeah. So uh, this year, uh, we have a virtual showcase happening. Uh, it starts tonight, actually. And uh, it's our first ever you know, online event. Of course, with uh, coronavirus, 
there's been a lot, a big push towards online events, but this is actually something we've had planned for a while. Um, so there's several, six films playing, I believe, and starting tonight and, you know, just really working to get a larger audience and uh, maybe outside of San Diego for the first time. You know, if you show a movie uh, in a movie theater, you're kind of limited to the people in the area, but this really opens us up to a wider audience. So we're really excited to be able to share these stories nationally, internationally, and locally for the first time. And then uh, later, you know, in the, in the spring, um, May 18th to the 23rd, we'll be holding the full GI Film Festival San Diego. Uh, and hopefully, you know, inside movie theaters or in a out, you know, group gathering situation, uh, depending on what the conditions are. But we're really looking forward to, to being able to bring people together again. And, and this uh, weekend event here is really uh, set up to, to make sure that we're keeping these stories alive. We're keeping these stories screening and, and that people are still engaging in this content, you know, now, even though we're in a kind of a weird time and a weird situation. Yeah, hopefully with the COVID stuff, we can get back together. Um, what, tell us a little bit about like the films that are there. These aren't like major Hollywood productions. Like we're not going to see Top Gun 2 at this, right? Like tell us a little bit about like what, what kind of films are we seeing and like who, about who are the filmmakers and stuff like that? Well, first of all, the, if you haven't taken in a film over the years and like Jody said, we've been here since uh, 2015 and if you haven't taken in a film, you absolutely need to. I mean, these stories that are being told are the all the untold stories. I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, Coast Guard one that's uh, debuting as well. But it, I mean, it is just amazing all these uh, all these stories. So it, it's like you said, it's from every genre, every era, every um, you know, branch of service. We've had Marine Corps stories, Navy stories, you name it across the board. And I think that's what's so appealing to me is that it's all these stories that you could have served. 30 years in the military and never have heard of. So, um, and it's a great opportunity to meet the filmmakers and the producers and have discussion panels afterwards. You get to do Q and a with a producer. I mean, come on, like that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, where else do you get to do that except at a, you know, festival like this where you get to ask the actual producer, the, um, you know, the stars of the, of the documentary, the short film, uh, questions about like why they got involved and what, you know, what's the meaning behind the story and things like that. That's really cool. And the films aren't all necessarily military stories, right? It might be like a, a veteran who's into making movies and it's maybe the story isn't military related. Is that true? Or In this case, uh, the films this weekend are all military all stories. Mil okay. um, but typically during the over, uh, overall festival, we also screen films made by veterans that might have nothing to do with the military, mm -hmm. they might just be a comedy or something. Remember the that zombie they, movie? A couple zombie years. movie. The first one, one of the first ones we ever <laughs> played was a zombie movie that our, uh, that we really, really enjoyed. Uh, had, uh, had, I forget the actor. It, was, it had some famous actors mm -hmm. in it. Doug, I'm forgetting, Doug Jones, I believe, was in it. Um, who's the nice. guy who plays all the weird characters on, like... Uh, um, like he's like the the sort of horror movie guy. They dress him up in all the alien characters, uh, Silver Surfer. So we had some great great films that are made by veterans because we want to encourage not just the production of military stories, but we want to encourage veterans to make films in general and make films about what they want to make films about. Not everybody who's in the military wants to make a film about the military, right? Sometimes right, they're yeah. moving. You know, they they're no longer involved in that, and they want to kind of do new stuff. and want to be able to support and encourage those filmmakers as well. Yeah, so all the films that you see over the last five years are for, by, or about the military. 
So that's what makes it so special for this festival. Oh, that's really cool. So um, what would you say, you know, kind of a typical, if in a, in a normal non kind of COVID environment, your, your festival, how long is it? Is it a couple of days usually? It's like about five days okay. usually. And there's various events during that time, panels and, and uh, Q&As, as Holly mentioned, as well as screenings across maybe three or four different venues, movie theaters. We also have an award show to celebrate the winners of the festival and give out awards. Oh, and that's kind of the funnest it's the fun night. We have an opening night. We have a preview night where we show everybody what's going to happen at the festival and get everyone connected. Um, it, the beauty of the GI Film Festival San Diego is it's, it's definitely formed a community here in San Diego. We've all sort of known each other over the last five years, and we've built these relationships, and we're bringing new people into that every year. And also, it gives us all a chance to come together and network. And I mean, film industry is about networking, period. I mean, a lot of industries are, but especially the film industry. So to be able to give the filmmakers this opportunity to connect with other filmmakers, connect with people who might be able to help them on future projects, connect with actors and directors and uh, active duty and veteran service members, I mean, there's just a lot of benefit there. And that's really one of the most enjoyable aspects of the festival. Uh, with our virtual showcase this weekend, I think one of the exciting things is the problem with the live festival is, you know, people from all over can't necessarily come to it. So the beauty of this is that we can we can really bring in people and filmmakers and directors from the films into this without having to, you know, uh, have them, you know, come here from New York or wherever they made their films. So there's this is kind of a new experience to be able to reach out further than we've been able to maybe include people we couldn't include previously because of the live aspect of it. Um, ultimately, you know, the live aspect is there as well in the spring. And one of the uh, other fun nights that we have is the um, uh, military family night. So as we all know best here night. in San, That's like just night. what she said, I mean, the networking is important, but we never forget about our military families. So there's always one night that uh, we either work with the USS Midway, um, you know, it, it opens up some other great venues here in San Diego for military families to just really take in a film that's a uh, usually like PG or, yeah. yeah, like a PG film or so. Family rated film, Family right? rated film, Not yeah. live in Afghanistan Wonder action, Woman, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Wonder Woman, we did a, what was the dog one from the year before? I for, yeah, I forget which one that, that was. That was incredible. There was just like uh, service animals all over, like just dogs everywhere. They all, you were invited to bring your family, your kids, and your dog. And the festival's more than just watching the films as well. Like at, for the family movie night, we always do some sort of donation as well. So we encourage uh, people to donate. Um, I think we've done books or uh, school supplies. We've done socks uh, for homeless veterans. Uh, so we've done so many other I mean, the GI Film Festival is great, but it's larger than just the GI Film Festival. I mean, we're giving back to the community. We're telling these amazing stories and collecting donations to give back to our local community as well. So it's... That sounds like a lot of fun. It's so much stuff going on. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about transition. Obviously, you're, you're still active duty. Um, you've transitioned out. And I know you work with uh, San Diego State. In, in helping with, you know, veterans and transitioning and, and getting their education and stuff. Um, but I'd like to get kind of your guys' perspective on that transition piece, because I'm sure you've, you've mentored and kind of guided people who are, you know, transitioning out of the military and eventually one day you will. Right. Yes. And, and you've taken that step and, and counsel a lot of people too. And we, we talk about the transition piece a lot here because I think it's an important topic, um, for a lot of reasons. And, um, number one is, you know, it can be scary, right? Because, 
you know, while you're in the military, everything's figured out for you, right? You don't have to worry about where the next paycheck's coming from. You don't have to worry about where to go to work. You know, like everything is really kind of dialed in for you for your life. But when you go into that civilian sector, it's all unknown, right? Um, so um, tell us a little bit about that. What's the work that you're doing with uh, San Diego State? Yeah, the uh, work that I'm doing with SDSU is uh, I retired out of the Coast Guard in 2011, and I was already admitted to San Diego State. So I uh, went there for four years, got my degree in public relations, and now I'm back to help our active duty veterans and military families get into SDSU and make some really good higher education uh, decisions. So um, that's primarily what I do in the military outreach as well. But I can tell you every day that these military veterans are leaving the service without plans. So if I had a couple pieces of advice, the first piece of advice would be to plan early. I can't tell you how many military veterans call me on Tuesday and say, hey, Ms. Schaffner, I'd really like to get into San Diego State tomorrow. And I'm like, sailor, that ship sailed a year ago. Like you needed to apply a year ago to, to get into SDSU. Um, so to make plans early and really plan for your education, plan for your finances. I mean, we can talk about the GI Bill all day long, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's 36 months of GI Bill eligibility, and it's not going to get you through um, uh, a full four-year degree if you don't have some college already under your belt, and certainly not into the majors that require a lot of, uh, you know, a lot more education, like our um, engineering majors and things like that. But really, I mean, you really want to keep your GI Bill to move on to a master's program or even a PhD. Yeah. I mean, so these are all the financial plans that they should have in place before they transition from the service. And then the other piece of advice I would give them is have something. I don't care what it is that you do, but have a plan. Because in the Coast Guard or in the military, every day you wake up at a certain time, you put on a, you know what uniform you're going to wear to work that day. You know what your workday is going to look like for the most part. Like have a plan. I don't care if it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to school, um, whether you're doing volunteer work, whatever it is, but have something that you're looking forward to and have a regimented uh, life post-military because that's what military are used to is having structure and regimen. Right. I will tell you that um, I've found over the years uh, that the new, new military members, they're, they're getting smarter. They really are. Uh, it wasn't like a crazy E4 Vi or E3 who just was a pirate, uh, basically. <laughs> but um, like now I'm seeing younger generations and like the E4s and the E5s coming through. Besides, you know, wanting to carry guns and do all the cool stuff we do and save lives, uh, they're planning for their future. They're taking school. Um, they're taking classes on the side where, where that was an afterthought when I was young and coming through and, and people are really looking to it and taking advantage of some of the information out there when it comes to the GI Bill, when it comes to uh, some of the, the uh, uh, outreach things that, that Holly has and our transition people and information they have when it comes to better themselves educational in that transition piece. Uh, but just like she said, there are a lot that don't have a plan. Um, like my plan is not great, but I know it's coming, so I'm working on it. Right. But there's some people that have zero plan, uh, and I definitely see where it is. And I've seen people retire and call me up and be like, "Hey, so uh, what are you doing? You retiring next week?" Like I'm, yeah, um, I got two months of leave or a month of leave, and then I'll figure it out. That's not a good place to be, you know. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate. A plan to maybe plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, we push it a lot as being myself in my position uh, in the leadership. Uh, we definitely push out to our members and like as much as we can being like, Hey, here's the resources available. Here's what you can call. Here's some other opportunities you have to better yourself to prepare for those. 
Right. <clears throat> yeah. And I've heard, um, you know, I've had some different guests on the show who've provided some, some really good advice. And one, uh, the couple that resonate with me is, um, you know, in the military, we're often used to, you know, kind of like project management, you know, type situations, right. And is really to create yourself as the project, right. The, the project management and really not look at, you know, what are you going to do the day after you get out, but what's the goal in five years after you get out and let's reverse engineer that and let's build the project around getting you to that goal. What does the lifestyle that you want look like? What kind of income level are you chasing? You know, what, what do you feel like you, you're going to do in that civilian sector and then reverse engineer it because the day after the military may not be the job or the step where you ultimately want to end up. But a lot of times getting out, that's all they focus on is like, what am I going to do right now, right now, right now? And sometimes it's those steps in between, whether it's going to school or maybe it's a series of different jobs, learning different skill sets to get you to that position, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I hear too with the, with the GI Bill, um, you know, postgraduate is if, if you're looking to go to that level with a master's degree or PhD is a super smart way to do it. I have a couple of friends who did that, took care of their undergrad kind of on their own in the military a little bit afterwards, and then powered through, you know, that postgraduate school using the GI Bill and really set themselves up super, super well. Great jobs, great income, like life is pretty good and just, you know, had that plan. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I'll tell you, I mean, all your uh, listeners and your viewers, viewers will know this, but the higher you go in education, the more expensive it's going to be. So there's no reason, you know, that our um, enlisted or officer, you know, men and women, when they're doing their um, bachelor's degree, like down at the community college level, like hold on to that GI Bill. It is that's sacred. That is 36 months that you can have free. It's not free because we all earned it, um, but you can have you know, free tuition and a book stipend and a BAH, your uh, housing allowance as well. Yeah. I mean, for 36 months, like hold on to that until you get to the university level where you're working on your bachelor's degree. And then of course, master's PhD, because if you can graduate at least with a bachelor's degree, but maybe even your master's degree with no student debt, that's a win-win. Yeah. You're miles ahead of the competition mm -hmm. at that point. Um, makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what would you guys say, you know, the, the, the theme of our show is armed and ready, right? So I like to ask everybody, you know, what, what does armed and ready mean to you? Well, I mean, I think it means different. It's all about where you're using it for. There's different things, personal, personal professional, uh, armed and ready, you know, it could be, are you armed and ready for conflict? Are you armed, but conflict can be decided. Like, is it conflict of getting up in the morning and making it through the day? Is it, is it the conflict of... Uh, pursuing education, like that's your battlefield, is what you're going through, uh, what battle rhythm you need. It's just having the knowledge and the tools at your disposal to be successful in that conflict. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say? say something similar, you know, armed and ready means, you know, especially everybody's going to transition out of the military at some point. I mean, even the number one person, the commandant of the Coast Guard, the, you know, commandant of the Marine Corps, whatever it is, everybody's going to transition at some point. So have that plan and be armed and ready. So armed would be armed with your resources, armed with, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, have your backup plans and be, be ready for that transition so that you can minimize the amount of stresses that you have when, you know, plan A falls through, then you still have B and C and just help to manage that, uh, that stress as you're leaving the military. Cause it is entirely, it's completely stressful and you always wonder, am I going to make it financially? Am I going to make it professionally? Am I going to make it personally? And, uh, so 
to have those plans that'll keep you armed and ready. Nice. Well, I'm the one non-military person on this panel, and I thought, like, movies, armed and ready, that's a great name for a podcast, is what I thought when I first heard it. Uh, uh, weapons out, but, but you know, a little more, uh, you know, an, an indirect um, definition that I, I, that I was thinking of was essentially, like, being prepared, just being prepared, having the skill set. You know, arms can be physical, they can be guns, or they can be, you know, skill sets and diplomas and uh, 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 trainings and things that are going to help you be successful in whatever, kind of what you had said, being successful in whatever it is, whether it's getting up in the morning or on the battlefield or in education or in your employment or with your relationships, you know, just gathering. And I'm a big fan of that, you know, having lots of options and lots of skills that you can apply in different directions just in case the world changes around you, right? In this situation right now with COVID-19, the world has changed around us and the people that are prepared with the skills and can adapt to that are, are really going to be the ones that not only uh, get through this, but also thrive uh, in this crazy time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wanted to give a little plug also for the Coast Guard, right? Um, definitely not highlighted enough, I don't think. So um, Holly and Greg, maybe you guys can just share with us a little bit you know, let's, let's tout the Coast Guard a little bit. If someone's looking to get into the military um, or considering that, um, tell us a little bit about the Coast Guard. What's it like being in the Coast Guard? Um, you know, what are, what are some of the differentiators that you would suggest to someone who's considering a military? Well, some of the big deals, some of the big differences we have in the Coast Guard, we are a military branch, uh, of course, but we don't work for the Department of Defense. Right. Uh, we work under the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, we've worked under Department of Transportation, Department of Treasury, uh, basically, we were created, brought together from different services for life-saving, uh, protect revenue uh, along our ports and waterways with the creation of the Cutter Revenue Cutter Service. But um, if you're looking to apply yourself operationally right now, it's something that really matters. Uh, the Coast Guard's a great way to go. Uh, I love all our other sister services. Uh, they have their place. They prepare for war, the next conflict. Uh, they prepare as we do too, but that's their sole purpose for that, that, that defense, where we, we expand and we run under 10 different title missions for search and rescue uh, to ensure our waterways are safe, to ensure they're navigatable, to ensure the commerce travels. And the largest commerce in the United States and the world is the waterways. We manage that. We regulate it. We inspect it and make sure it's safe. Um, we're there standing on the watch when, when people need help. Uh, we're going to go out there when the seas are rough and when it's really bad. Uh, if you want to do the rescue part, if you want to uh, go out to sea, uh, if you want to get into cybersecurity, we also stand alongside our other services doing that. Uh, we're definitely a very small branch. Uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier, uh, the New York City Police Department employs more people than the Coast Guard. Oh, That's wow. how small we are. Wow. Uh, we're a very small service. Uh, right now, we're roughly, I'll say approximately around 44 to 46,000 people, period, in the Coast Guard. Uh, you figure there's more than that on the Navy base over here. Right, in San Diego, yeah. one base. There's more than there's more than there's more people on Camp Pendleton than people in the Coast Guard. Almost, that's crazy. Uh, are very close, you know, which is really surprising when we cover the entire coast of the United States. We're overseas doing anti-piracy. We're over in the uh, in the Arabian Gulf. Um, you know, we're everywhere our partners are because of what we bring to the table. The amount of um, responsibility we give to such junior members, uh, it, it is unbelievable. Uh, as long as you want it. As long as you're willing to work for it, we treat you like an adult, and we expect you to act like one. 
That's really good. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I would say that I, I look back onto my 18-year-old self, and uh, I was on a 270-foot ship uh, right out of boot camp, and I was traveling all through the Caribbean. I was seeing places. I mean, I was born and raised in a small town in Pennsylvania. I mean, who gets to go to St. Thomas, St. Croix? Who gets to sail the Caribbean? When I went off to my um, technical school, I was in Great Lakes, Illinois, and uh, learned how to fire the large automated weapon systems on ships. And uh, who gets to who gets to go to Great Lakes, Illinois, or Michigan, or wherever in the in the United States, and um, gets to have all this training? And and I think the one thing I'm sure Master Chief will agree with me is that the people that you meet in the military are your lifelong friends. I mean, I think back to my 18 year old self, and I'm still friends today with people that I knew when I was 18, 19 years old, and uh, that camaraderie that you have. So. In addition to, you know, just being a great service and having a real, you know, day-to-day mission, um, then you have the camaraderie, the travel. You can go all over the world. We have uh, stations all over the world and, and ships that will take you there, and it's, uh, it's amazing. And another thing I'd like cool. to say about it, too, uh, this different other services, because of where we are uh, in all the communities along the coasts, east coast and west coast, is we're the only military service that's embedded in these communities, in these small communities. Uh, take the East Coast, for example. Uh, along the Eastern Seaboard, there's approximately a Coast Guard station roughly every 45 to 50 miles. Oh, wow. It's just, it just is. It's, it's, it's kind of surprising. But in all these little towns and everywhere you go, like, you're like oh, there's no military for hundreds of miles. Well, there is. There's a Coast Guard station. And uh, it's just something we're really involved in communities, and that's why we get our names out there, and that's what people learn about us. But we really want everybody to know about us and, and come out and take a shot yeah no the coast guard's awesome um i'm curious to know a little bit about coast guard basic training um what how long is basic training where, where do you guys go what is it like well it was funny so i was lucky i got to do it twice right oh that's so, lucky uh, well, I, the army, <laughs> National army Guard. Yeah. so uh, i got to enjoy that at fort Sill, oklahoma which was a great place never to go um <laughs> and then uh of course when i joined it was there was enough years after and uh the coast guard there's programs where you don't have to go to full boot camp. You can go for a couple of weeks, they kind of teach you some stuff about the Coast Guard, then congratulations, you're a blue suitor and you're in the Coast Guard. Well, the Army, whenever like you're calling a fire and blowing stuff up, the, the Coast Guard really has nothing that compares. So they're like, well, you got to do all, the whole thing. So I got to do all eight weeks again. It's another Lucky eight weeks, you. the yeah. same thing. Uh, the only boot camp the Coast Guard has is in Cape May, Cape May, New Jersey. That is uh, where we build our coasties. And uh, that's what we have. It's, it's eight weeks like uh, most of the rest of them. Nice. Well, what was it like? Was it? I, I remember on, on my way to basic training. Well, you're in the Air Force, right? I was in the Air Force. Well, yeah. Is that chair soft enough for you? It's you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a little firm. It's a little, it's rough a little firm. Yeah. To make sure. Yeah. Your, I didn't see. I mean, it's not Hilton standards. You know. I don't see anybody giving you massages yet. So we'll, I'm sure he'll get there. They're on order. Don't worry. Uh, but I remember. The I remember in the airplane, like heading to basic training. I didn't know what to expect. Just like super nervous. Like, what's going to happen to me there? You know. Um, what was your experience like? Yeah, so it was a long time ago, but, uh, you know, what I can remember is that, first of all, I never had anybody yell at me the way that the um, the drill instructors yelled at us. And, you know, and I was in, I think when I graduated boot camp, I was in the best shape of my life because we ran, we did push-ups, we did, uh, you know, so much uh, PT, physical fitness, and um, 
I, I still remember that when my mom and my dad came to my graduation, they were just amazed as to who this person was that was sitting straight in their chair, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And it was, uh, it was quite a, a life-changing experience just going to boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. No, boot camp is, is interesting. Um, uh, you know, in the Air Force, we just got massages and had spa days all the time. <laughs> no, so, I knew you it. know, I played video games. It was, <laughs> on it was way different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously in any branch you go to, you got to get that that initial break in, right? And yes. and develop that 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 military candor and and in just the understanding of how it works and, and all that stuff. So really, it's it's not as bad as, as the, the fear might grasp your mind about, but um, definitely necessary, right, to get you set up and. To, to get you going in the military. Um, is it like the movies? Parts of it. Yeah. yeah parts, of, parts of it are. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's, there's a lot of yelling, definitely a lot of yelling and lots of push-ups um, mm-hmm. and lots of running. Lots of hurrying up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, well, I'm, I'm hurrying to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hurry up I don't wait. know where for Something sure, but I'm going set. somewhere. Yeah. I'm following the person in front of me and we're going wherever that person is going. Right. I mean, like the first time navigating a military base, you're going to <laughs> building 66 and you're like, okay, well, there's building 59 and there's 42. Like, it's not even in order, you know? Like, so, you know, the, all that kind of stuff is you're just scratching your head and um, completely lost the whole time, you know? And, um, but it's, um, it's funny. And lifelong friends, even, even from that experience too, you know? Okay, so you guys have um, your film screening coming up and you guys are, are promoting a specific, there's a specific film you guys want to talk about or, or, or showing, I mean. So tell us a little bit about what film that is. So that's, um, you know, the Coast Guard's leading the charge tonight. So we're the first one out the gate. It's called Rescue Men, and it's about an all-African-American station, a life-saving station, uh, back in the late 1870s, and then uh, it was disbanded after World War II. But it's an amazing story. I mean, Master Chief can talk a little bit more about, you know, sailing through that area. That the, It was in Pea Island, North Carolina. Okay. And um, the rescues that they did back, back then, it was just simply amazing that they're on land and they're having to swim out to these ships that have beached themselves or are in distress and just rescuing people when on pulley systems. And I mean, it's really to look back at to where the, it wasn't the Coast Guard then, it was the life-saving service back then. But um, to look how far that search and rescue mission has come and the tools, the training, the policies, I mean, and then add in the whole dynamic of it being an all African-American station. They're dealing with their own, you know, discrimination and everything else during that time. And here they are just swimming out through the waters, these, you know, incredible seas and waves just to, just to rescue people on the ship. That's a really cool story. It's a really cool story. How long, how, now, including the life and re, the, what would you call it, the life and life rescue? Life-saving service. Life-saving service. I mean, how long has the Coast Guard actually been in existence? So the actual Coast Guard is made up of, of numerous different organizations. So life-saving service, the steamboat service, the lighthouse service, uh, the cutter revenue service. Uh, so all these got brought together uh, in 1915, which basically August uh, in 1915 is when the creation of the Coast Guard. Okay. Was actually all brought together and created what is now known as the Coast Guard. Uh, so they still had the life-saving stations at the time, uh, and they were still known as keepers of, of the life-saving stations, which were the leaders of it. And continuing on until after World War II, and they started changing into your standard Coast Guard small boat stations. Is right. what they're known as now. Okay. 
Okay. Wow, that's really cool. That's a neat history. Yeah, and the story is uh, definitely phenomenal. Uh, it's a great story, and it's definitely super important right now, like Holly mentioned, you know, uh, as being the all-African-American life-saving station back then. And from the first of all, uh, Richard Etheridge, who was the first uh, African-American keeper uh, of P. Island Light, and they, uh, that crew was actually awarded the Golden Life-Saving Medal uh, on the 100-year anniversary of one of their major rescues uh, back in 1994, 96, I believe. Uh, and we actually have our second fast response cutter named after Richard Etheridge. Really? Uh, oh, uh, that's being cool. that. And his whole story, if you get a chance to watch it, is unbelievable. And uh, right now it shows really the importance with some of the, the social unrest and divided we have in our nation uh, and some of the way the military will look at uh, – not use that bias for race or anything else and just pick the most qualified person. And uh, Sumner Kimnell, uh, who was kind of like the founder of that standardization with the Life Saving Service, recognized that Richard Etheridge was the person that should be in charge. He was the most proficient and the members he had and went against all these other members and local uh, politicians and made him the keeper and really went against the grain. And uh, just what they accomplished is running that, that uh, the PI and Life Saving Station was unbelievable. That's really, really a cool story. Where can, so how do people get set up to watch this? What do they, what do we need to do? Yeah, so they can, uh, so it's going to air tonight on, uh, on the GI Film Festival virtual showcase. So in order to still get tickets, they have to go to gifilmfestivalsd.org. And it's only $10, $10 to watch this block of film. So this one, it's called Rescue Men. And like I said, it's the first one out the gate. It's being paired with another one, which is a World War II um, era. And it's called um, the Rifleman's Violin. And uh, that's a great story, too. It's only 14 minutes, whereas the Rescue Men is a little longer. I think it's almost an hour. Okay. Um, but the best thing about afterwards is that the filmmaker is going to be there. So if you're watching this via Zoom and you watch the two films, then right afterwards you can uh, put your questions into a form. And the um, producers, um, I'm going to be the moderator, so uh, awesome. I'll be seeing your questions. And um, you'll be able to ask the filmmakers uh, some questions about, you know, why they got involved with the films and things like that. So... Again, $10, gifilmfestivalsd.org, and uh, there's still tickets available, so um, please see one of the six films and the four blocks that we have on Thursday and Friday. That's really cool. Can, can I add in, too, course, you know, if there's yeah. any filmmakers out there, we are accepting films for the GI Film Festival San Diego 2021 edition. One of our deadlines is coming up on the 7th. You have until January, October 7th. Uh, it's an early bird, so it's cheap, easy to submit. And you have until January 20th to submit films. So hopefully, you know, uh, that'll get out there and we'll get some great submissions for next year's so we can come back and do this again. Yeah, and they can find all the information to submit that yep. on, on the same Film website. GIFilmFestivalSD.org. That's really cool. Awesome. Great, you guys. Thank you so much for Thank having you. us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Wonderful.